Well, today's scripture reading is a selection of passages from the book of Proverbs. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, he will, you will only have to do it again. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, it's probably a little over a year now, actually. Um, uh, a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine from seminary, actually, they have a they have a podcast, and it's about ministry and kind of ministry leadership. And from time to time, they get hard up for topics or guests. So they asked me to be on it, and um, they asked me to be on it. And and the conversation was around preaching and sermonizing. And so uh, looking for different perspectives and insights from people. You know, we were talking shop for people who are kind of in the game. And so the question came up, and this is a question I don't know how much y'all think about in, in the pews, but so, you know, when someone is getting up here to give a sermon and they're writing the sermon or thinking about it, crafting it before they get up to deliver it, who's the audience, right? Who does the person have in mind before they deliver the sermon. And so is it kind of a, a, a generic congregant? So I think of you all who are part of the congregation, and I sort of come up with the median congregant theory. I mash you all together, and there's an amalgamation, and who represents the kind of median congregant? And so I will deliver that sermon to that person. It's Eric Nordenson is the median congregant, for whatever, for, for what it's worth. <laughs> and, uh, you know, or is it uh, kind of a generic community member? So I think about somebody, you know, I draw a circle two miles around the church, and I think about, so who's a generic person that lives in the community? Or is it a seeker? Is it a skeptic? Is it a, a visitor? And so for me, it's none of those people. And so this is true confession time right now. When I'm writing a sermon, and when I said this, I was not, uh, I was not scolded by my podcast host. They said, ah, it struck, a, it struck a chord with them. It's that when I'm writing a sermon, the audience is myself. Uh, so, of course, when I deliver this, I want to speak. I want it to resonate beyond, uh, beyond me. But the, but, the, but the basic question, as I'm reading over the scripture, I'm wrestling with the text in, in preparation for giving a sermon, is what is God saying to me? in this text. And based on that, what does he want me to share with the congregation? Now, I don't think that's self-centered. I don't think it's narcissistic. If you think so, we can talk about it afterwards. But because what I want to do is I don't want to put myself in the place of God when I'm preaching, right? So that if scripture has a word of judgment, well, I'm up here telling you, you're being judged. No, 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 no. If there's a word of judgment in the scripture, it's a word of judgment for me. If God is calling out sin, he's calling out sin in me. But best of all, and always, each and every week, it's about good news, and so the good news is good news for me, too. And so all my preaching is is personal, but this week, it's even more so. 
It's like scripture is, is reading my mail. Because our theme this week in Proverbs, you probably notice it in the passage today, it's all about anger. And anger is something that I've always struggled with. Now, as I was an early adolescent, I remember um, there was someone here who, who worked uh, at the church, uh, in the church, uh, a man by the name of Ron Keller. And Ron Keller was, was a therapist. He was a counselor. And one of the things that Ron would do is he had these kind of temperament tests you would give. And the temperament is kind of like, that's just baked in. It's like, like a personality test, but it's saying your temperament is your temperament. It's just a given. Throughout your life, your temperament is not going to change. And so when I was you know, probably 12 or 13 years old, uh, I think about 12 years old, I, I, I did a, a temperament analysis and, with Ron. And one of the things that it showed was that part of my temperament is anger. I, that's just who I am. I can't change that anger comes naturally to me. It's like this default setting that is hardwired into who I am. And when we think of anger, we think of rage, right? Anger management is for someone who has like road rage or something like that. And I, I don't usually experience anger as rage. Anger is frustration. Anger is annoyance. That, that's the anger I'm most familiar with. And at the outset, when we're talking about anger, we're talking about the Bible, the, the Bible does not condemn anger per se. Paul writes in Ephesians, and he's actually quoting the Psalms when, when he writes this. He says, be angry but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the Gospels tell us, Jesus got angry. And our words of encouragement this morning that, that Matt shared with us after the prayer of confession, they talked about Jesus' death saving us from God's wrath, which is God's righteous anger. Proverbs, you know, while the Bible doesn't condemn anger per se, what, what, what our scripture selection in Proverbs shows us this morning is that anger is something that we have to be really careful with, exceedingly cautious. We've got to treat, treat it with extreme care because if we don't, the results can be disastrous. And so as we look at anger this morning, I want, I want us to look at four things about it. First, we're just going to say, what is the root of anger? What's it like? Where does it come from? And, and then we're going to look at kind of it's the problems with anger. Then we'll look at, all right, we see where it comes from. We see there's problems. Well, what is it useful for? And lastly, what, what can we do with it so we can make good use of it and not bad use? So first, there's the roots of anger. Where does it come from? And linguistically, in Hebrew, uh, the words, the two most common words for anger in the Old Testament they speak to really the visceral, the physiological aspects of anger. And so one of the most common words for, for anger in Hebrew, it, it has to do with snorting. And if you think of when you get angry, what's one of the things you do? I'm, I don't know if you can see this at home, but, or in, even in the sanctuary, you flare your nostrils, right? When you get angry, that's just one of the physiological reactions that come with anger is, is snorting, is flaring your nostrils. And then the second word, and this is not going to surprise anyone at all, second Hebrew word that commonly gets translated as anger has to do with heat. And, you know, that makes perfect sense to us, even in English. You know, the heat of the moment. That's actually not about anger, but passion, but whatever. They're the same thing. They're, they're closely related to each other. But, 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 you know, when you get angry, right, your face gets red, you start feeling hot. There, there's, you know, there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a hot anger. Our blood rushes. And so the Bible understands what anger does. It does something to us physically when we experience it. 
But that doesn't answer the question. What, what, what really causes that physiological response? Where is it coming from? And there's a couple of things that we see both from Scripture but also just studying human psychology. They, they dovetail with one another perfectly. So first is anger is rooted in our sense that we've been wronged because we've been denied something that was owed to us or something that was rightfully ours has been taken away from us. We've been disrespected. We've been dishonored in that way. So, so anger comes from the sense of being denied what was ours or having something that was rightly ours taken away. We see that in Scripture. We see that, that Esau gets angry at Jacob because Jacob tricked him. He stole his birthright. Saul, he's angry. He's furious with David because the people celebrate David more than they celebrate Saul. You know, they sing out, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And so Saul has moved to great anger. In, in the parable of the prodigal son, the elder brother is angry, angry at his brother, but especially angry at his father because the father runs out and he celebrates the, the return of the prodigal and he showers him with this love and, and this honor that the older brother feels like was owed him and that he had never experienced. And so one root of anger is the deeply personal sense of, of being denied what we're owed or having what belongs to us taken away. You know, an, an example, right? You feel like you've treated someone well, that you did right by them, and so you feel like you're owed a reciprocation. And, and if you don't get that, you get angry. So let's say there's a friend, and you knew this friend was going through some, some hard times, and so you were a shoulder to cry on. You were a listening ear, and you helped them process whatever it was they were facing. And then when the time comes where you're going through the same thing, and so you look for that same type of listening ear, that same type of crying shoulder from them, but they can't be bothered for it. And, and, and they still just want to talk about themselves. Well, that breeds resentment, which is a form of anger. Because as part of the mutuality that comes with a genuine relationship, you have not been given what you believe you were owed, reciprocity. So that's anger as being wronged. But also in the Bible, and perhaps an even more basic source of anger is seeing wrong. So there's anger as being wrong, but then there's anger as seeing wrong. It's seeing someone or something, you know, wrong with the world. So God is angry with Israel because justice is being sold to the highest bidder. Moses gets angry with the Israelites because he comes down from Mount Sinai and he sees them worshiping a golden calf or constructing and worshiping a golden calf in violation of the first commandment. Jesus is angry because people don't want him to heal on the Sabbath. And so anger is our natural response to seeing something in the world that just isn't right. And I think another piece of, of evidence uh, that God was reading my mail this past week is I was talking with uh, uh, my therapist who I've been meeting with for a few months and, and throughout different seasons in my life I've engaged in, in talk uh, therapy and I, I've found it to be usually very helpful and in 2020, 2021 I don't think I'm alone I know I'm not alone when saying that that's been a really hard season and, and just some things I needed to, to, to work through through that and so um, and this is one of my first times or probably my first time working with a, with a Christian counselor, and, and he's been really excellent. 
And so as we were talking about some things that I'm, I'm, I'm working through right now, anger came up, and he, and he had a couple of keen insights that I just want to share with you. And he says, he says, well, anger is about our desire to change something. So something happens that's wrong, and we feel angry because we want that to change. So uh, my kids are whining, and I get angry because I want them to stop whining. All right? Someone says something rude or disrespectful or thoughtless. I get angry because I don't want to be spoken to that way or treated that way. And so anger is an emotion that is directed, it's directing us towards change. But, but the second point is, okay, well, what's the problem with anger? Being directed towards change is not bad. But the problem with a certain kind of anger is that it directs us towards change by destroying I want to completely destroy the other person who just did that to me, who made me feel that way. And so the wrong type of anger is anger that's directed towards change by attacking. Anger is this emotion that leads us into war, and the problem is that so few of our wars are actually just. In Proverbs, it captures the, the problems with anger so well. We see in our passage, a hasty temper exalts folly. Envy makes the bones rot. A harsh word stirs up. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. So according to Proverbs, when anger isn't managed, when it's handled the wrong way, it's destructive at almost every level. First of all, it's self-destructive. It says envy makes the bones rot. Anger destroys us from the inside out. There's been all kinds of studies. We can go, you know, Google, anger, health, Unsurprisingly, it's not good for you, right? It's bad for your heart, strokes. Anger shortens your life. And if you've ever harbored anger for a long time, you know you're not feeling at your best when you're angry. it's, It's just corrosive for your physical health and for your soul. And, you know, if you're a person like me who struggled with that, you know, hey, you're not at your best self when you're carrying that around with you. But also, if you've, you know, had a parent or a child or a spouse who, who's been angry, you know that what that does to that person that you love and you're in relationship with, it's horrible. So anger is self-destructive in that way that it's just physically destructive to us. But anger also does something else. And, and this is where really the heat of anger, I think, comes out, is, is that anger is impulsive. And what's impulsive? It's short-circuiting what ought to be a deliberative process. So it, it, it short-circuits you. It just makes you jump from emotion to action way too quick. Cuts out that thinking and that deliberation piece. That's what, you know, kind of the heat of anger does. And so you get angry and you say something you regret because you didn't take the time to think about it. You get angry and you send an email without even really thinking about it because you didn't take the time to process. And so really when we're in a healthy place, you know, it's emotion and then it's deliberation and then it's action. But when we have this kind of hot anger, we just go emotion, action without thinking about the consequences. And, you know, when we think about it, it doesn't, the deliberative process doesn't actually have to be this long, drawn-out, multiple-days things. It can be almost instantaneous. But we still, we have to take time to, to, to process before we act. So we can be, you know, really active, proactive, instead of just reactive. Where we can engage in, you know, 
in, in thoughts, in, 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 in words, and, and in patterns and actions that are constructive and not destructive. So anger, you know, it's, it's bad for us physically. It's, it's bad for our rationality. And, and lastly, uh, our reading captures this, that one of the problems with anger is that it's, it's addictive. It says, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. So when we're addicted to anger, we get caught up in these just endless, vicious cycles. And so anger is a powerful drug. Um, Social media companies, their entire business model is predicated on what? Capturing our attention so they can sell our attention to advertisers. And so uh, they have a business incentive to hack into our brains to discover how is it that we can grab hold of and keep someone's attention uh, for as long as possible. And so they're optimizing their algorithms to get more and more of our attention. And what they've found is that one great way, and for most of us it's the best way to get our attention and to keep, us, keep our attention, is to make us angry about something. Anger is way more powerful when it comes to attention-grabbing than love. And so, you know, we can see examples abound, but think over this past year, you know, and, and, and it grabs some legitimate anger too, but it just keeps feeding it. So, you know, we think about the pandemic, and it's easy to get angry, how oh, those COVIDiots and those flumers who are killing grandma, uh, and I'll never forget at the beginning of the pandemic, there was the grim, grim Reaper guy in Florida on the beach saying, you're all killing everybody, you know? And it felt good to go, oh, someone's, someone's giving it to those people out there, those idiots out there. Or you get angry about the people who are, you know, forever, basically, let's shut down the world forever. Let's never reopen. Uh, let's wear our masks, uh, you know, forever. Let's keep ourselves in hermetically sealed bubbles and, and never reopen society again. And look at those idiots who just want to live uh, in a bubble forever. We got to get out there. There's lots and lots of people making lots and lots of money out there making us angry. Not just making us angry, but keeping us angry. So we've looked at the roots of anger from seeing wrong to being wrong, seeing how destructive it is just physically, uh, rationally. Uh, just, it keeps us just hooked. But it's not all bad. And so how is it useful? That's, that's the question. Because anger is a normal, natural response to seeing things that aren't right in the world. Uh, and, and Tim Keller, he, he framed it this way, and I, and I love it. He says, the solution to anger is not no anger. That's apathy. That's denial. That's, that's not realistic. You know, it's like the, um, the, the Seinfeld episode where uh, Kramer meets that guy, and it's serenity now, serenity now, just denying, uh, denying anger. You can't do that. Serenity now, insanity later. But so no anger is not a solution. Nor is, and, and people who say, you know, I, well, you know, anger is problematic. I, what, an angry God, I couldn't deal with that. You know, for me, I have a problem with a not angry God. If God could look at this world he had made that is filled with sin and destruction and not be angry, what kind of God is that? So it's not no anger, but nor is it kind of what we were talking about before, which Keller calls and, you know, makes it rhyme, so I love it. It's not no anger. It's not blow anger where you just lose it. You blow up at someone. That's destructive anger. So it's not no anger. It's not blow anger. It's what our passage in Proverbs talks about over and over again. It's slow anger. It says this, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Good sense makes one slow to anger. He who is slow to anger quiets contention. 
And that's actually in the Old Testament when it talks about God. One of the characteristics of the God of the Bible is being slow to anger. It says, you know, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So what is slow anger? Uh, here's one commentator's thoughts on this. And, and um, he wrote it in a book. There's a book called The Gospel of Anger. And so he says that, Alistair Campbell's his name, he says, slow anger is, is anger which severs the connection between the emotion of anger and destructive action. And so he writes this, anger may be denied, but it cannot be eliminated from human life. And the more we refuse to face up to it, the more it will undermine the possibilities of true Christian love through a cloying niceness or ill-concealed resentment. In considering how we deal with anger pastorally so it becomes not an enemy of love but part of the gospel of love, we must look again at the kind of situations in which it is most readily aroused and then consider what a loving anger might achieve in overcoming both enmity, so hatred, and apathy. So there's no avoiding anger. But as Christians, there's also no avoiding the responsibility we have for what we do with it. And slow anger, it's spurred by seeing something wrong, being moved to seek change, while at the same time not seeking change through destruction. But look at Matt's tattoo, shalom. That's right there. Shalom. We are not seeking to destroy someone, but we are seeking wholeness, the well-being, the flourishing by engaging the full humanity and total circumstances of the object of our anger. And usually it goes when, when we're angry at someone, and almost always our anger has some kind of justification. If we engage more fully with that person's circumstances, with their full humanity, we're going to come away not wanting to destroy that person, but seek their well-being. And Keller argues that, that slow anger is it's love in motion towards a threat to that which you love. And slow anger, it spurs us to do something about that which is wrong in the world, to defend and, and protect that which has been threatened. At its best, the slow anger, it's an expression of love. Think of uh, the, the proverbial mama bear, right? We, we use that in this example, uh, you know, of, 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 of her anger being about protecting her cubs, protecting the vulnerable, much more so than it is about, you know, just going out there and wantonly killing a person. Bears don't do that. They're protecting the vulnerable. They're protecting what they love. And so as Christians, we, we ought to see anger in the same way, that, that we're passionate about defending and protecting that which we love, which is most vulnerable in our midst. And where the church has failed to do that, failed to protect the vulnerable, failed to be kind of a mama bear towards the vulnerable, we have endless scandals that point to the fact of how actually awful that is. So slow anger is useful, godly anger. All right, but here's, here's the conclusion. That all sounds nice. Of course, who, who wouldn't want to, you know, have slow anger rather than blow anger? But what do we do with it? H how do we make sure that, that our kind of anger is the good kind and not the bad kind? And so it's, some of it's right there in the name, right? That slow anger means we slow down when we're angry. But as I was, you know, as I was talking about this this week with, with, with my counselor, he, he said something that 
really resonated, and, and I wrote it down, and, and I think it speaks exactly to what Proverbs is saying here about slow anger. So first, when you're angry, just acknowledge it. I'm feeling this way, and then you can just notice it and stop and ask the question, all right, what's causing this? What's going on here? You're asking, what is making me feel angry right now? So, so you acknowledge it. The next thing you do is you examine it. You ask that question, I'm feel, something made me feel this way. You look at what is that thing, and then you ask, what is the change I am seeking right now? What do I think the action needs to be? So you acknowledge it, you examine it, and finally you have a choice. What am I going to do about it? What are my options for what I can do about it? What should I do about it? And so really slow anger is the process of acknowledgement, of examination, and of choice. You know, he said to me, your, your anger, it actually can be an invitation to move away from a desire for destruction toward compassion. And look at the end of our scripture today. It says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. That's not slow anger. Instead, it says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head. And the Lord will reward you. So slow anger is that anger which moves us toward compassion for the object of our anger. It moves us to seek the well-being, the healing, the wholeness, the flourishing, the shalom of the object of our anger. Slow anger moves us towards that seemingly impossible Christian ideal of loving your enemies. What does Scripture say, though, about us? While we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. And we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And so God's anger, God's wrath, God's hatred of sin and of death and of evil, anything that debases and defaces his creation, move God not to destroy us, but to save us. And so as his children, he calls us to do the same with our own anger. And so what that means is that, you know, you're dealing with a situation, say I'm dealing with a situation where I'm angry. Uh, you know, I have some options. I can go and unload on that person, especially if I got some righteous anger, right? You can use that to tear that person down. I can point out, you failed, you acted poorly in, in, in this way, and it's worthy of condemnation, and so let me share that condemnation with you. But slow anger means I have compassion, that I seek to understand, okay, wh- wh- whatever this person did that caused me to feel angry, we're... Where did that come from from for them? And as best as I can in having compassion is to accompany them on that journey, to understand why they did what they did and understand how I contributed to it because I don't want to destroy them or I don't want them to destroy themselves. But instead, I want them to grow. I want to grow too in wisdom and in stature and in the favor of God and man. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please pray with me.